All right. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever had one of those moments in life where you were in a room full of people, but you, didn't, you weren't really aware of everything that was going on around you because something profound was happening uh, to you in that moment? You ever had one of those experiences? Maybe it was, maybe it was love at first sight, you know? Maybe it was like, like the movies. You saw somebody across the room and you weren't aware of anybody else that was there. You just, you just saw them. Or, or maybe it was the opposite. Maybe you were in a room full of people and you saw the ex and you weren't aware of anything else that was happening because you're just like trying to hide under a table somewhere. I, I get that. I had one of those experiences um, a few months back. Andrea and I uh, drove to Lexington uh, to, to see a friend from high school who is, a, is an artist, a, a country artist, and he's really good, Sean McConnell. You need to look him up, iTunes, he's incredible, just saying. And uh, so we drove to Lexington to hear him play because normally he's in Texas or different places. This is the closest he'd ever been. So we, uh, we drove to Lexington and went to a little place called Willie's Barbecue. Has anybody in here ever been to Willie's Barbecue in Lexington? Let me see your hand. Okay, all right, so I hadn't either. And you probably don't even know where Willie's Barbecue is, but you've probably passed it a million times because it is this, it's this little tiny hole-in-the-wall restaurant with a, little, um, with a little concert venue, if you could call it that, uh, in, the, in the back of the restaurant. And so Andrea and I went down to Willie's Barbecue, and, and Sean played. And, and Sean, is, he's a pretty famous guy. I mean, he, he's, he plays for, you know, thousands of people sometimes. And, stuff. and we're in this restaurant with probably 30 people, at Willie's Barbecue, and we're sitting there listening to Sean sing, and all I can do the whole time, or I can't take my eyes off of this little wood circle carving that is on the center of the, of the backdrop of the stage. Now, I mean, the stage is probably a quarter of this size, and there's this black curtain, and in the middle of the curtain, there is this little cir- like circle wood uh, carving and written on the wood circle, on the wood carving, is the words locally known. Locally known. That is the mission of Willie's Barbecue in Lexington, Kentucky. Just in case you were wondering, you ever want to go there, that is the mission of Willie's Barbecue. They just want to be locally known. They don't want to be internationally known. They're not trying to go viral with their barbecue sauce. They just want to be locally known. And they actually are locally known. They're pretty famous in the area for what they serve, their their barbecue ribs. I know some of us are fasting, so I don't want to go too crazy into this, but they got this special sauce on their ribs, and it's locally known. It's locally known. And I don't want to be too dramatic today. I don't want to be too spiritual today. Andrea and I were there for zero spiritual reasons, okay? Zero spiritual reasons. But I was sitting there that night in Willie's Barbecue, staring at this wood circle in, in this tiny room that said locally known, and God just messed me up. I mean, he just messed me up. I'm sitting there, and I just can't stop thinking about the idea of being locally known. Just, just locally known. We live in a society that, did you know this? I don't know if you know this, but one in four 
students under the age of 18, one in four, 25% when asked in a recent survey if they expected to be famous, one in four said yes. 25% of students under the age of 18 expect to be famous, right? And it makes sense because of our society and reality TV and everything. I get that. We live in a world, we live in a society where everybody wants to be huge. We want to be big. We want to be famous. We want to be, you know, rich, whatever it is. And here's Willie in Lexington. He just wants to be locally known. And I was sitting there that night staring at that, that board on a date with my wife, kids back in Louisville, not really wanting to think about Jesus, if you know what I mean. And I'm just, I'm there and I can't get the thought out of my head about our church just being locally known. Just being, just being locally known. And that's what this series is about. We're starting this series, One Word, and, and this series is really about one word. I'm going to tell you about that in a second. But really, it's, it's about being locally known. It's about being known for something. It's about, it's about being recognized for something, for, for, for one word. But I want to set up how we got to where we are today. So last October, I brought a friend in uh, from Seattle. Some of you may remember Brandon Stewart. He was here uh, from Seattle. He spoke for us one Sunday. And, uh, and Brandon came in. I like to bring people in periodically from the outside who have never been to our church just to give me fresh eyes, fresh perspective. Tell me what you're seeing. Tell me what you notice. If you see any flaws in the church, help us to fix them. Just kind of come in from the outside and help us. And so I asked Brandon to come in and he came in and he was with us on Friday and Saturday, spoke for us on Sunday, and he was going to leave on Monday morning. But on Sunday night, Brandon and I went out to dinner, and he had about 10 pages of notes about our church. And we worked through them, and I love it. I'm kind of a geek like that, just some spreadsheets and everything. We're working through all of it, and I love it. And we're driving back after we had gone through all the information. We're driving back to his, uh, where he's staying. And he said, Jason, he said, I've been with you three days now. I've been with you all weekend. Love your church. Love your people. I mean, I really do. I love it. But there's one thing that's bugging me. I said, what is it, Brandon? He said, I've been with you all weekend, and I don't know what your compelling idea is. And by compelling idea, what he meant was, I don't know what is that one thing that compels you to do what you do. I don't know what that one driving force is behind you, behind your church. Like, if you don't do this thing, you fail. No matter what you accomplish, this driving, compelling idea forces you. It wakes you up in the morning. It, it gets you out of bed. It, it gets you to work. It gets you dreaming. It gets you believing. What is, he was saying, Jason, what is your compelling idea? I've been with you all weekend, and I, I can't, I don't know what it is. I can't recognize it. I sat there in the car, and I was like thinking, and I'm like, well, I don't know. I don't know what it is. I, I, don't, I don't think we have one. And Brandon ended up leaving town the next day, and for the next six, six weeks, his question just haunted me. What's our compelling idea? What's my compelling idea? What is the thing that I want to be locally known for? What is the thing that anybody who knows me could tell you, this is it. This is why Jason is in ministry. This is why he pastors River City Worship Center. This is why God has put River City at 7515 3rd Street Road. Why? Like, what is, what is the reason? 
So this was back in the fall, October. It's haunting me. And, uh, and a few months later, we take the staff on a staff retreat for a few days. We get away and we just pray and talk and dream. And so we get the staff away on the staff retreat and I tell them the story that I just told you. And we had this big dry race board and I said, we're not leaving here until we figure out what our compelling idea is. Why did God plant this church over 90 years ago? Why are we here? What is his purpose? Like, what is the thing that we're going to spend the rest of our lives doing because it compels us to? And so for the next 48 hours, we're writing down things and and, and, and drawing stuff out on the dry erase board. And I, I get crazy when I get some dry erase markers in my hand and start to, you know, meet and plan a little bit. And here's what we didn't want to do, just so you know. And if you work in some type of corporate environment, you can understand the frustration of this. We didn't want to get into a meeting and come up with some catchy slogan and everybody goes like, oh, yeah, that's it. But it didn't mean anything. We wanted to figure out, with God's help, what is the... What is the DNA? What is the calling? What is the purpose of our church? What are the things that God's already doing based on the people that he's brought here? What is that compelling, that compelling idea? What is it? And so after a few days together, after listing everything we loved about the church, after listing everything that we believe God has been doing and maybe would want to do in our church, we really narrowed it down to three things. We narrowed down what it is that we want to do as a church for the next, we were just saying in the meeting 35 years, I'm 31 years old, 35 makes me 66. I'm not saying life's over at 66 for anybody who's 67. I'm just saying for me, I was thinking the next 35 years. What do we want to spend the next 35 years of our life doing? Because 35 is a long time. I haven't got to the first 35 yet. And we narrowed it down to three things. And I want to give those to you real quick before we jump into John chapter 4. We narrowed it down to three things. The first thing that we said we wanted to do, to spend the rest of our lives doing for the next, you know, however long that God has us together uh, building this church, the first thing that we want to do is we want to help people really grow spiritually. We want to help people really grow spiritually. And we put the word really in there because we really want to see it happen. We don't want it to just be some language that we use like, oh, yeah, you know, spiritual growth. No, I mean, we really want to see it happen. People who don't know Jesus, getting to know Jesus and he changing their life and growing in Christ. We want to see people really grow spiritually. And more than any church that I've ever been a part of, And I mean that. I mean, I'm a church kid. I grew up in church. More than any church that I've ever been a part of, I see God growing people here like never before. I really believe that. I got to see this up close firsthand this last Wednesday night during our 21 days of prayer and fasting. We um, uh, have Wednesday night prayer meetings at 6.30. And I was sitting uh, on this little whatever that is right there, this little rise right there, and I I was watching our church pray Wednesday night, and I just looked out and and just saw people that two years ago, three years ago, five years ago, would have punched you in the mouth if you have ever told them they were going to give their life to Christ and end up in church somewhere. No way, no how. Don't, don't put that evil on me, Ricky Bobby. I'm not doing that, all right? But here they are at a prayer meeting on a Wednesday night at 6.30, praying out loud to God. I saw people that 
at one time or another told me that they came just because their wife was coming. They didn't really want to be here, and now they have their hands lifted, and they're worshiping God. I just looked around the room, and I saw people that God was growing spiritually, and that's what we want to do. That's what we want to do. And we believe it's something that's unique to us. Not that it should be unique, but we believe that it is something unique to us here at River City. That God brings people in who never thought they would end up here and does something incredible in their lives. So that was the first thing we decided. We want to help people really grow spiritually. The second thing we decided we wanted to spend the rest of our lives doing together as a church is we wanted to help, we want to help hurting people. We want to help hurting people. You cannot deny the heart of generosity in this church. Now, if you're a guest with us today, I'm so excited that you're here, and I'm kind of a little bit talking, a little bit like, it's kind of like a family meeting a little bit, like dad around the dinner table, so you just have to bear with me a little bit, but, but you, you can't deny the heart of generosity in this church. Did you know that over the, the last seven years that we've given away as a church over $300,000 to plant orphanages? Yeah, that's an incredible place to clap. To support orphanages, plant churches, help families get ready to go back to school, uh, help single moms manage everything that they have to manage, just partnering with South Louisville Ministries, just all sorts of things to help people. This church has a heart of generosity. It gets us going like no other. It really does. There's no doubt about it. And I've never been a part of a church that has the heart that you do to, to, to generously help, help people, help hurting people. It's not something that we want to start doing. It's just something that we identified that we already do. It's, some, it's part of who we are, who God has brought here, you and me together. So we want to help people really grow spiritually. We want to help hurting people. And then the last thing that we said we wanted to spend the rest of our lives doing is we want to create non-religious environments. We want to create non-religious environments. In other words, what we mean by that is we want it to feel more like Jesus than religion. We want it to feel more like Jesus than guilt and condemnation. We want it to feel more like Jesus than like stuffy, be quiet, you're in a library, take off your hat, you know, like, not that you take off your hat in a library, but you understand what I'm saying. Like, it's just like, just this stuffy, we, 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 we want it to feel like Jesus. And when we read the Gospels, we found that people love Jesus and hated religion. And we want that to be true for us. But that's not something that we're going to start doing. It's something that we have already been doing. Well, one of the things I love most about this church is that it's a safe place for people who aren't sure if they want to be in church. They're not sure if they want to give their heart to Christ, but it's a safe place to hang out for a while and, and just see and just investigate. That's what Jesus did. Jesus just hung out. They just hung out with him. And man, it ticked the religious people off so bad, but they just hung out. They just hung out. So we want to help, we want, to, we want people to really grow spiritually, we want to help hurting people, and we want to create non-religious environments. That, that's what we decided, we want to spend the next 35 years of our life as a staff together, as a, as a, as a leadership team together, we want a church that, that does those three things. But you may be saying, Jason, I thought the series was called One Word, I thought we were trying to find that one thing, that one compelling idea, you just gave me three, and you're exactly right about that. Those are still things that we do, and we were not trying to come up with more things to do, because I don't know about you, but I got enough stuff to do. We wanted to figure out why. Why? Why do we want to do those three things? Why did God put us here? 
What is that thing that, that, we, that we have to accomplish in order we feel like to fulfill our calling and purpose that God has put on our life? Why do we want to help people grow spiritually? Why do we want to help hurting people? Why do we want to create non-religious environments? And after about 48 hours in a room together with just us and, and, and some M&Ms, some water and a dry race board, it may have been the Holy Spirit or it may have been all the M&Ms, but we believe it was the Holy Spirit. We, we believe that, and we think that the reason that's so important and the reason why and why God put us here and, and what he wants us to do for the next 35 years, why he wants us to do those things is because we want people to experience the transforming hope of Jesus. Amen. We want the south end of Louisville to experience the transforming hope of Jesus. See, I believe when people begin to really grow spiritually, whether that's not knowing Jesus but know him because that's growth, or whether that's knowing Jesus but really trusting him because that's growth, whether that's trusting him or being used by him because that's growth, we, we believe that when you begin to really grow spiritually, you experience the transforming hope of Jesus. We believe that when you're hurting we believe that when you're hurting and somebody uh, helps you while you're hurting, that in some small way you're experiencing the transforming hope of Jesus. We believe that when you believe, when you think that religion is terrible, but you actually come in contact with Jesus, maybe for the first time in your life, that you experience the transforming hope of Jesus. Hope. Hope, that, that's, that's our one thing. That's our one word. Like, we believe that God placed us here and put it on the hearts of people over 90 years ago to create this church, and it moved a couple times, and it changed names a couple times, but we believe God brought us here to share the transforming hope of Jesus Christ. We want people to experience that. Because here's what we know to be true. Our world needs hope. Our world needs hope. 43% of Americans take some type of medication, mood-altering medication for depression or anxiety. The average marriage in America lasts eight years now. The American family goes 36% more in debt every year. It's, it's, it, it, if you've watched the news recently, especially depending on which broadcast you watch, it feels pretty hopeless out there. You're scrolling through some articles on the internet. It feels kind of hopeless out there. But here's what we believe to be totally, 100%, absolutely true, that Jesus is the hope of the world. Amen. And Jesus said, not Jason, Jesus said that he was going to build a church and that when he builds the church, that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. No matter what it's like outside in society and culture, we believe that the hope of the world wants to build a church. We know he wants to build a church and he's put us here. He's put us here to share the transforming hope of Jesus. So many of you, so many of you in the room today could share your story about the transforming hope of Jesus. Maybe you came in here feeling hopeless and you found that hope. Maybe a friend or somebody introduced you to the hope of Jesus. We want that. We exist to share the 
transforming hope of Jesus. But here's what's incredible, is that I believe, and the staff believes, that we've already been doing this for like as long as we've been around. There's nothing new. Like we believe that we've already been doing this, but even almost kind of accidentally, we never had the language. We didn't know why we were doing it. We didn't know what to call it. But now we believe that God has given us the language Transforming hope, and language is incredibly important. If you've been, if you started the 5:15:30 reading plan, you've already read about the Tower of Babel in Genesis, and, and God came down one day when they were building the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11, and he said, the people are united, they all speak the same language. Now, he was literally talking about language, dialect, but he said they all speak the same language, but after this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible. In other words, Jesus said, if a group of people are speaking the same language, there's nothing that's impossible. Language is important. And so for us, our language is people experiencing the transforming hope of Jesus. Now, there's a story. It's a long setup, but there's a story in John chapter 4. If you have a Bible, I want you to open up to that. If not, it'll be up on the screen for you. But there's a story in John chapter 4 about someone experiencing the transforming hope of Jesus. There was a woman, a Samaritan woman, who was at a well one day. In John chapter 4, verse 4, says that Jesus had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus tried, or tired, excuse me, from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time, verse 8 says, because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. Now listen, this is not the point of the message, and I don't have time to really get into it, but I don't think it was a coincidence that somehow the disciples were away when Jesus was about to do what he was about to do. Because if you look at the next verse, it says, the woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. Sometimes in order to reach the people that God wants you to reach, you've got to like get the religious, traditional crowd out of your ear, sometimes. And that's not the point of the story, but, but I, I think if the disciples had been around, they'd be like, Jesus, what are you doing talking to that lady? You can't talk to her, which is kind of ironic. They would tell Jesus what he couldn't do, but they, they're like, you can't, you can't talk to her. She's Samaritan. We, we can't do that. I think anytime God wants to do something great through a life, anytime he wants to do something great through a church, you always have these voices and these these voices in your head or maybe these voices in your life that say you're not supposed to do that. You can't do that. And sometimes for God to do something incredible through us and with us, we've got to separate ourselves from all the voices in our life that may possibly tell us that's not what we should be doing or could be doing or that God would want us to do. And so here's Jesus and this woman. And I'm going to skip down to, uh, to verse 13. They dialogue a little bit. In verse 13, Jesus said, anyone who drinks this water will become thirsty again. Talking about the water that she could pull out of the well. He says, anybody who drinks this water will will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I will give, I give, will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within. Everybody say within. Within them, giving them eternal life. You know, there's a difference between hope and transforming hope. I don't know if you know that, but when the lottery gets up to about 500 million, I hope I win it. 
Anybody else hope you win it when it's up around 500 million? Oh, y'all don't play the lottery? My bad. Okay. Um, <laughs> my bad. So, uh, you know, I hope that uh, when I was younger, I hoped I could dunk. I'm five, eight, you know. I can't dunk. There are things you can hope for. But there's a difference between hope and transforming hope. You know, I, I hoped I could dunk or I, I hope I win $500 million one day. But when I hoped that Andrea would marry me, I began to transform a little bit. You know what I mean? I, I stopped, like, hanging out with my guys as much. I, I cleaned up a little bit, you know, started showering a little more, you know, start, started saving my money a little bit so that we could go to some nicer restaurants. Come on, guys, you know what I'm talking about. It's that transforming hope that you hope she's interested and you hope that she would be with you. And There's a difference between hope and transforming hope. I actually looked up the definition to the word hope because uh, this is a while back because it's our thing. It's our language. It's, it's what we do. It's why God created us to here at this church. And I looked up, and I thought that the definition of hope would be wish. You hope, you wish, right? I thought it would be dream. You hope, you dream. It's not what it is. Did you know that the, um, that the, the number one definition of hope is confidence? It's confidence. That when you hope, you are, you're confident. And that's a little different idea of the word hope. And Jesus is here with this, with this woman, this Samaritan woman, and he says, look, if you keep drinking the water from the well the way you think you need to be drinking the water from the well, you're going to keep getting thirsty, and you're going to keep getting thirsty, and you're going to have to keep coming back and keep trying to find something that will fill you. But if you will drink of me, and he's using kind of a metaphor here, but what Jesus is saying is if you would believe in me, if you would trust in me, if you would follow me, You'll never thirst again. You'll begin to be transformed. Begin to be transformed. And so if hope means confidence, and meeting Jesus means meeting hope, maybe, maybe the transforming hope of Jesus means being confident that you're loved by God. And everything inside of you would say, God doesn't love me, I'm too bad. I got too many things going on in my life that would disqualify me. Maybe the transforming hope of Jesus says, you know what? I can be confident I'm loved by God. Maybe, maybe transforming hope is finding this confidence that life is worth living again. Maybe. Maybe the transforming hope of, of Jesus is, is the confidence to overcome the lies of the devil in my life that keep telling me things that aren't, aren't true. Maybe the transforming hope of Jesus is the confidence that God has great plans for my life. Do you know anybody in your life who could use a confidence from God that life is worth living and that God has great plans for their life? Maybe that's the transforming hope of Jesus. Maybe the transforming hope is confidence that God is bigger than my mistakes, my failures, my sins the things that would disqualify me. As we begin to experience the hope, the transforming hope of Jesus, he, he begins to change us. He begins to transform us. It's not the kind of short-term hope that says, oh, I feel better now. It's the kind of hope that says, I'm confident in God He's changing me. He's transforming me. 
And so Jesus says to this lady, listen, you can keep doing it your way. And you can keep feeling better short term, off and on, as long as you want. But what if you put your trust in me? What if you started believing in me? And, and instead of the woman going, yes, that's what I want to do, she begins to argue back with God like we do sometimes. And she says, uh, she says sir, I'd, I'd like some of this water. I don't want to be thirsty again. I, I don't want to have to come here to get water. She, she's not totally getting it yet. Jesus begins to talk to her about her life, that he knows where she is. She's been married five times. She's living with this dude that's not her husband right now, and she's kind of embarrassed about that, but Jesus wants her to know that he knows who she is and where she is and what she's struggling with, but she, he still, it doesn't matter because he still wants her to know him, to have a relationship with him. And she says in verse 19, sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. Look at verse 20. So Jesus is trying to give her the transforming hope of Christ. And she says, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that Jews insist that Jerusalem is the one place of worship while we Samaritans claim that it is here at the Mount uh, where our ancestors worship? Who cares? She's, she's trying to intellectually debate and decipher, you know, what is, uh, who cares? Jesus says, why are you, she goes on to say, why are you wanting to talk about the temple and the Jews, and the, why do you want to talk about it? I'm talking about the transforming hope that I can give you. And when I say that we want people to experience the transforming hope, I want it to be an experience. Because there's a difference between knowing something and experiencing something. And this woman, this woman's trying to know something. She's trying to know all the information. And I'm not talking about education. I, I, that's wonderful. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the difference between knowing and experiencing, right? Yes. I, I, could, I could stand up here today and I could tell you that the mission of Krispy Kreme Donuts is to touch and enhance lives through the joy of Krispy Kreme. I could, I could tell you that Krispy Kreme donuts are formed from dough extruded by air pressure from the perfect donut shape, that the hole in the middle of the donut is not actually cut out. It's actually just when the dough comes out, it just kind of goes around and the hole is, is there. It's not made and then cut out like they do at Dunkin' Donuts. I could tell you that when they make a Krispy Kreme donut, they fry it for 125 seconds. And you could know more about Krispy Kreme. But if you've never experienced it, I mean, you can know about it, but if you've never tasted it, I mean, who cares that they fry it for 125 seconds, but when you taste it, that was a good place to say amen on the tasting part of a Krispy Kreme donut. <laughs> maybe, that's why, maybe that's why David said in Psalm 34, 8, he said, you got to taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen, 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 amen. You can know him. You can know about him. You could quote the Ten Commandments. You could, you could come up with a verse about, you know, whatever. You could tell stories about church camp or Catholic school or whatever. All those things are great. I experienced all those things. But we want people to experience him. And I don't mean just those people out there. I mean those of us in here too, that there are some of you sitting here today and you've been coming to church and you've been a Christian for, you know, 20, 30 years, 10 years, and you know about God, but you've never experienced him. Amen. Amen. Yes. 
Like, when is the last time that you would say, you know what, I had an experience with God. I mean, I, I had an experience with him. I don't just know about him. I've experienced him. And this woman is trying to, she's trying to figure it all out. She's trying to figure it all out. And I'm going to summarize, but in 21, Jesus says, woman, what, what? Don't worry about it. I'm the Messiah. I'm here. Like you've been trying to find all these answers and you've been trying to figure it all out. And you're talking about one of these days and later on and, you know, well, guess what? I'm here. And the time is now for you to put your hope in Jesus. And then I love verse 28. I love verse 28. It says, the woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone. I love the fact that she left her jar because she don't need it no more. She doesn't need it anymore. She left her jar and she ran back to the village You can always tell when somebody experiences the transforming hope of Jesus because somebody who was not passionate all of a sudden gets passionate. Ran back to the village. Telling everyone. Telling everyone. Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah, she wasn't, like, she was, like, 80% sure, but she wasn't totally sure, which I love that because sometimes we think to follow Jesus, we got to be, like, 100% sure, and we can't have any doubts, and we can't have, like, but, but she said, I think, I experienced it, and I think this is the real deal. Verse 30, so the people came streaming from the village to see him. Like, the whole town takes the word of the, you know, Samaritan Elizabeth Taylor, who's been married five times and living with this other guy, takes her, here's what she says, and the whole town goes out to see Jesus. And the disciples show back up, and they're like, well, what we miss? Because we're not talking about rules and religion. We're talking about the transforming hope of Jesus. And when you find it, it changes you. It's passion in your life. It, it starts causing you to talk about it and share about it. And it's, it's, it's infectious and contagious. It's the transforming hope of Jesus. And this is just one Sunday, and we do this 52 weeks a year, and we're going to do this for another, you know, 35, 40 years together. I hope you're here with me. I'll be here. Come on. But I just want you to know that that we know the language now. We understand why we understand why God has put us here. We understand why the things that have mattered to us for the last seven years and eight years have mattered to us. We understand why certain doors opened and certain doors closed. We even understand why certain people left and certain people came. We understand because God has given us the language. And we exist to share the transforming hope of Jesus. I don't know if this will make any sense to you, but after this got in my spirit and, and got in my heart and, and, I, and just kind of, I just walked around with it for a couple weeks, a couple of months, just reading and praying one day. And I just felt, I don't know if this makes any sense, but I just felt like God said, Jason, I want you to be a hope dealer. 
I want you to be a hope dealer. I just want you to be a hope dealer. I want people to come to you for, to find hope. I want, you to put, I want you to hook people on hope. I want you to be a hope dealer. Like this woman at the well, I want you to, I want you to, to, to go back into town, and I just want you to spread hope. I just want you to be a hope dealer. And I want to encourage you today and challenge you today and implore you today to be a hope dealer. If you have experienced the transforming hope of Jesus, I I want to just shake you and implore you to be a hope dealer. Let's be a hope dealer. Let's share that transforming hope that we've experienced with everybody that we can, with everybody that we know, not talking about religion, not talking about more rules, not talking about having to wear a tie because mom said you got to wear a tie. I'm talking about knowing and experiencing Jesus. Jesus. Because when you experience Jesus, it transforms you, transforms you. Let's pray.